The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Propaganda versus the truth. You're with Swedish-British journalist Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to go we'll talk about uh, Sweden in our intro today. Uh, it's a sort of quieter story, but it's still relevant in the larger scheme of things. Um, we've seen farmers' protests all over Europe and uh, burning and chucking manure at, uh, at council buildings and uh, and large motorway blockages. In Scandinavia, it's been much quieter, partly because we've had the coldest winter in decades and snow and minus 20 degrees, uh, not very conducive to protests, partly because Scandinavian culture is less demonstrative. And uh, partly because I think maybe uh, Scandinavians really believe their mainstream media, which does its best to douse any insurrectionist pitchfork type of feelings. And I also think that um, the the large head of steam that was gathered around the public against the um, mass immigration that's transformed Sweden's and Scandinavia's demographics utterly has been splintered somewhat uh, because of the uh, Palestine and uh, Ukrainian crises, which divided people who are united on the immigration question into different camps. So some people who are against immigration are also against uh, Russia, and some are in favor of Ukraine, uh, favor of Russia and ditto. So you've actually got four or five categories. And I know people who don't talk to each other because they hate Putin and love Israel and vice versa. It's, it's complicated. Um, but uh, one thing people can actually unite around, and that's intense dislike of the Swedish state broadcaster, SVT, uh, which is supposed to be like a model on the BBC, actually. It's supposed to be neutral and objective and truth-telling. But um, a lot of people I speak to think it's a joke um, and uh, only watch it to find out what the, the hoi polloi are being told to believe. It's uh, It says at the bottom of every single um article on their website svt's website we we are impartial we're telling we're truth telling we show all sides when we're balanced we we seek diversity in our opinions you can take this to the bank but i mean it to me it doesn't seem like that and let's say in the area that i followed particularly closely um nato and uh, the ukraine conflict they've been peddling disinformation since practically day one um, they've had a a, uh, a spokesman from the armed forces who wears his uniform and then gives completely wrong predictions and wrong descriptions of what's going on. But I think very latterly, they've started to sober up when it comes to uh, describing the uh, losses Ukraine has suffered and the fact that they haven't defeated Ukraine, uh, Russia very quickly as they've been talking about. And of course, this optimism has made the Swedes feel quite relaxed about joining NATO uh, rather than going into the mouths of hell, as now seems to be the case. Anyway, um, there was a big demonstration uh, at the weekend uh, against SVT's lies, and um, uh, over 1,500 people turned up with uh, torches, and they walked down the streets of a twilight Stockholm. And it was a very picturesque event. And... Um, of course, it wasn't covered by SVT itself. You had to go to the alternative media to find out about it. But it could, I wonder if, um, because um, the media, let's say farming is a particularly important topic. Uh, it, it's close to the hearts of many French people, say, and Spaniards, maybe Germans. So farming 
uh, is a sort of um it's something people can rally around you know um the scandinavians don't have that because it's uh, less of a farming country and farmers are particularly invisible in the national debate such farmers that do exist so they, they don't have the sort of uh, emotional power anyway that to to gather people around them but let's say these uh the blue collar class, whatever you want to call it, and a lot of disaffected academics and so on gather around. And because the media is something Swedes take very seriously, as a Protestant country with high literacy and reads a lot and watches a lot. And the Swedes pride themselves on being very informed about other countries. But if it turns out that if through SVT, they're just merely misinformed about other countries, but many of them watch it religiously. So what uh, maybe, um, uh, the it's the protest against SVT, which is taxpayer funded, by the way, I mean, it's obligatory. It's not like the British license fee, which you can in theory evade or avoid if you don't like what the BBC offers, which is democratic. Uh, SVT in this already highly taxed country uh, levies a compulsory fee on everyone based here. Uh, maybe this uh, insurrectionist movement against SVT uh, and its thoroughly leftist misinformation propaganda approach will lead to a more um, less compliant uh, Swedish public. Uh, and we saw that Sweden could get it right sometimes. We saw that over the COVID crisis, and then it lost it again. Of the NATO debate, which was rushed through with very little uh, democratic debate. But um, of course, if you, I, I find that um, Swedish uh, SVT commentators on international affairs are really ignorant, whether 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 it's out of misinformation or whether they just don't know better. Uh, so what I'd like to add is, if you really want to go on to uh, find out what's, what's going on in the world, the BBC is better than the SVT, and many Swedes do that. But of course, uh, here at TNT, we do strive to give you the absolute X-ray vision into what's really going on in the world. So after a quick break. We'll talk about the headlines with Basil Valentine, our news producer. Getting straight to the facts. Enough with the lies. We need facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, Basil. What have you got for us today? Good morning, Pele, and hello to our viewers and listeners all around the world. Well, first of all, if uh, the BBC is better than SVT, then SVT <laughs> must be absolutely beyond abysmal because... Uh, personally, I can't bring myself to uh, take in any yeah, uh, BBC news and current affairs output whatsoever. Um, well, I, did I, I tried start... to, I tried to tell on. Swedes that if your planes were as bad as your national broadcaster, they would crash out of the sky as soon as they took off. Your your chart songs would never have any international success. It's that bad, believe me. And quite a lot of Swedes do agree, actually. Anyway... Um, there's there's huge room for improvement uh, at SVT and of course at You're the BBC not, as mean, well. That's a, <laughs> that's a, one of the biggest euphemisms I've heard in a long time, Pelly. Room yeah, yeah. for improvement. My God, I well, mean, for, <laughs> to me, the BBC, <clears throat> for example, needs to be completely dismantled and 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 start again. Basically, it yeah. doesn't act in the public yeah. interest at all. Uh, well, well the, the worst. Sorry, the worst thing is these faux, sophisticated North Europeans who say, well. I'm informed because I actually watch oh, CNN. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you uh, idiot. Anyway, who, or BBC. Um, <clears throat> CNN, whose staff have been complaining about the pro-Israel bias of its Indeed. coverage. Um, Indeed. And, you know, in my view, unless you are prepared to bite off and chew on the fact that Western populations 
are every bit as heavily propagandized as were the people of Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union, then you can't really begin to build an understanding of what's going on in the world. Um, there's not only active propaganda, bias and slant and all that, um, but also propaganda by omission. And before mm. coming on to the main story, uh, if you go to the front page of The Guardian today, uh, you wouldn't know that there was a genocide going on. You have to search for the latest news from the Middle East, scroll down, click on links and all the rest of it. Um, and, and this is the case with the BBC as well, doubtless SVT. People talk about, oh, you know, why didn't you do more to stop the uh, genocide in the Second World War and all the rest of it? Um, exactly, well, yeah. You know, we've, we're, we're witnessing a repeat. It's absolutely abysmal. On that score, um, yeah. Tony Blinken, the man posing as Secretary of State for the United States, uh, is heading to the Middle East again. He's due in Saudi Arabia today in a bid to finally deliver a truce uh, in advance of a new threatened Israeli assault on the last refuge in Gaza at Rafah. They have actually been bombing Rafah. I mean, gradually mm -hmm. since the beginning of this whole thing, first of all, Israelis said, move south, move south. You'll be safe in the south. They started bombing the south. Moved to Khan Yunis, they bombed Khan Yunis. Uh, now moved to Rafah, uh, you know, two million people crowded into uh, an area the size of Central Park. And uh, now they're bombing that as well. Uh, the, the ridiculous thing is and we're in this bizarro world now where the International Court of Justice, supposedly the highest authority on the planet, uh, said that Israel must take all actions to stop killing Palestinians. And it hasn't mm. done so in the 10 days since that verdict, that interim verdict, over a thousand Palestinian civilians have been murdered. There's no mm. other way of Incredible. putting it. Uh, and only this morning, I'm seeing reports that the Israeli Navy uh, launched missiles at an aid convoy. These are not only war crimes and breaches of humanitarian law, but on top of that, they're direct breaches of the ICJ ruling. So, yeah. mm. And they've killed more civilians. I mean, this ICJ thing, uh, they've they've brought Putin before the International Criminal Court and he's a wanted man and they made a really big thing out of that. But I mean, the number of civilians who've died in two years in Ukraine is is far less than have died in a few months in Israel. Is it? You said ten thousand in the last uh, week or so. That's in, these are incredible no a, th a thousand numbers, in the know? last week. Thousand. We're now at okay. thirty thousand yeah, dead right. all told. Um, right. There were some figures came out yesterday from uh, Euromed, um, yeah. which says that. Uh, 110,000 Palestinians as of Saturday, 110,000 are reported killed, missing or injured. Mm. OK, uh, 35,000 confirmed dead, including 12,345 children, over 300 health personnel and 120 journalists. Uh, the head of one of the hospitals uh, was shot by a sniper and uh, at the weekend. And just today, uh, another sort of bizarro incident. Uh, the occupation forces 
have arrested the executive committee member of the Palestinian Red Crescent Society and the general manager of the Al-Amal Hospital, Dr. Haider Al-Qadura, along with the hospital's administrative director, Maher Atala, and they've been taken to an unknown location. I mean, this has got nothing to do with Hamas. Why is mm. Israel arresting uh, doctors and hospital administrators? I mean, it's off the charts, and yet we don't. And do hear they have that. a justification for it? I mean, do, do they? Well, even what, what justification, justification could there possibly? What what justification right. could there possibly be, Penny? You know what? You know, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. This this comes after a two week siege of the Al Amal yeah. Hospital, um, and yet the talking heads and politicians that uncritically support Israel, you never see them pop up and say, this is going a bit far, you know, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, we should really try and rein in that, you know, so. Mm. And of course, in the global south, they know all these things. They know that we're the most brainwashed populations in the world. And it, I think it's it's going to be like the situation after World War One, where we, the white man, lost respect because, uh, you know, we were not infallible because we killed each other in large numbers. And now here we are strutting about saying we're the best informed, least propagandized population in the world. And to, if you're an intelligence officer in Turkey or Beijing or, you know, even Khartoum, you might think these idiots, these are totally corrupt elites leading totally propagandized and brainwashed populations. You know, wh why Why do they have pretend to be the sort of the leading continent in the world? Well, absolutely. We've got another case in point with uh, Tucker Carlson's presence in moscow where he's due oh, to yeah. interview vladimir putin um and the liberal commentariat in the united states are going absolutely berserk now yeah. what possible reason could there be for censoring somebody talking to an important world leader um and finding out their opinions on on global affairs uh it's a direct call for censorship uh, mm. Well, tell us what's going on, because not everyone Well, Tucker. Who is Tucker Carlson uh, in very, very quickly? And what is he proposing to do? Or what, what does everyone think he's doing? Well, Tucker Carlson was the most popular host on cable news in America before he was fired by Fox uh, late last year for basically being a bit too much of a truth teller and a rather uncomfortable uh, presence on uh, mainstream American television. He's actually quoted in the betting for uh, the next president of the United States. He's enormously popular with Trump supporters, uh, many mm. of whom hope that Trump will nominate him as his vice president. But Tucker, has, Tucker says he has no interest in running for elected office. Since he left Fox, he's been uh, running his own show in collaboration with his uh, good friend Elon Musk, and mm -hmm. uh, he streams out live on the X platform. Um, mm. And uh, he's in Moscow at the moment where he's due, the, the, the word is, he's due to speak to Vladimir Putin because of course, uh, what the uh, neoliberals and uh, people running the United States, Great Britain for that matter, don't like is hearing dissenting voices. We have the same thing with Palestine. Uh, only certain perspectives are presented to the general public. Overwhelmingly, in the Middle East, that means the Israeli perspective is presented and we don't really want to hear from these other mm. people. And with respect to the Ukraine and the international situation with Russia, of course, RT, 
formerly Russia Today, the state broadcast, that's been banned in the West. I'm not allowed mm. to not allowed to hear uh, RT anymore. It was extremely well informed. Um, mm. Likewise, press TV is heavily censored. So, uh, you mm. know, we live in a in a strange twilight world these days, Pelly. Well, I always thought that, I mean, here we are, let's uh, SVT, we'll, we keep you on for a few moments uh, before the next guest arrives. Sure. Um, SVT said, well, we believe in diversity. Why didn't they just swap guests lists with RT? I mean, I think they've got some quite good commentators. I mean, Western commentators who are, who as soon as they appear on RT are banned in the West. Or, I mean, it's an informal right. ban. Producers just don't call them up, you know, because they've got this yes. leprous state, le leprous reputation. And um, interestingly, I just say a little parenthesis. I was trying to get a guy on, on my show who's a very well-known editor of a well, very known, well-known sort of uh, uh, covert action uh, magazine, reports on all the misdeeds of the West and Russia, whatever. But he didn't want to appear on TNT because he was afraid that people who'd been on RT had also appeared on TNT. And that was enough for him. So I thought that wasn't very impressive. But anyway... Uh, here at TNT, from Basil and myself, you'll always get the best and freshest and most accurate, I hope, rendition of the world's affairs. So we'll go on to our next guest. Thanks, Basil, for today. Very interesting. This is TNT Radio. Thank you. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time when the Western Empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan. Whilst at the same time, the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behaviour and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the truth shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit, and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course. And then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. This is generally the view of people, oh, we don't know much about Assange. Well, you should know. Because whether you know it or not, he is fighting for you. For your courage and leadership and tenacity in journalism and publishing. Since 2010, Assange has been held in progressively narrower, darker, colder and crueler spaces. He has been detained since the 7th of December 2010 in one form or another. And we are now here after years of imprisonment. WikiLeaks is a non-state hostile intelligence service. I think the man is a high-tech terrorist. A high-tech terrorist. A traitor, a treasonist. He has to answer for what he has done. Assange faces up to 175 years in prison for publishing classified documents exposing U.S. war crimes. The U.S. government narrative about Julian is a complete fraud. It is a complete fraud from A to Z. Julian took on the most powerful countries in the world, basically all of them. We now have confirmed that there were plans to kidnap Julian here in the center of London, or even assassinate him. No one 
who instigated that illegal and immoral war has been brought to justice. But the great truth teller sits behind bars. If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. Julian Assange is a hero. What if everything we thought we knew about somebody was a lie? Would we be willing to go on a new journey of understanding? This is a story of deception, lies, bravery, and a man who risked everything to bring the truth to light. Mr. Assange shows all the symptoms that are typical for a person that has been exposed to psychological torture over a prolonged period of time. He looked at me intensely and said, I hate to say this. He then hesitated, visibly troubled and searching for words. And then he finally said, please, save my life. May future generations have the ability to speak without restraint. May our children and their children know truth and have access to information that leads to justice. Wherever Julian goes, free speech goes with him. If there is a bird that is about to take flight, stretch her wings and rule the skies, may it be a pista and no longer a bald eagle. If you think Assange is a traitor, he's a rapist, he's a narcissist, he's a hacker. I don't blame you because you have been deceived. And if you think you've not been deceived, that's normal because otherwise you wouldn't be deception. Swedish British journalist, filmmaker, political writer, and author of five books, Pella Neuroth Taylor, on today's News Talk TNT. Okay, we're back, and the theme is sort of fake news in Ukraine and Palestine, and uh, in Sweden, of course. We've got Eric Kraus with us today, who lived through the 1990s in Moscow and was uh, a businessman, entrepreneur, a banker, and rubbed shoulders with some of the oligarchs who kind of screwed around with Russia. And having talked before the show, makes you realize the importance of learning the history behind uh, Putin's rise and the, the squalor that Russia rose from, and which can explain the incredible popularity, genuine popularity of Putin. Uh, another thing I want to talk to about is the enormous number of Western journalists in Moscow, then and now, who have since gone on to senior positions in London and Washington in, and have a completely wrong-headed view of uh, Russia then and now, which has led us to mistakes we have today. But before we talk about specific journalism, Eric, tell us about what Moscow was like in the 1990s and what you were doing there. Well, uh, I I was always fascinated with Russia. I'm, uh, from, from family, I'm half Russian. I'm a French national, but my mother's family was all Russian. And um, I was always fascinated by the place. And, you know, like many other people who were there, I grew up literature at college. I always sort of imagined Russian, but that was the Soviet Union in those days. And it wasn't really a place that I could go and live. And then suddenly there was this new story. Uh, there was, you know, capitalism had come to Russia that was going to be starting over again. And um, I jumped at the opportunity and got myself a job in Moscow. 
And um, in 1997, the beginning of 97, I arrived. And you were working in the the banking sector? uh, Yes, I was initially working for a broker, uh, Regents European Securities, and then I became head of fixed income for Dresdner Bank. Um, Right. And it was a fascinating time. You were you in the, in in two thousand. Putin came to power, and did things change then? What uh, for, for the better, or for the worse, or I can tell you that I had always lived in Moscow in the Chistiprudi area, and I like the cold, so I would tend to walk to my office, which was about twenty minutes. And in the late nineties, I never went to the office and saw fewer than let's say six old ladies digging through the, through the snow for bottles to recycle for a few kopecks, for a few pennies. And these were not um, junkies. These were not um, marginal. These were people, they were good Soviets who had worked all their lives, who were in their retirement, their their social care, and they had been thrown out in the streets. And it was it was fairly horrible. Uh, yes, we foreigners were doing very well. Uh, we were the kings of the hill. We had money. We had, were prestigious. Russians were very interested in what was going on outside. Uh, but for the Russians, it was a miserable period. And of course, it culminated in the 1998 meltdown when the financial system, the, the wheels came off. The financial system. And then, well, this, this hasten. And you, Putin came to power in 2000. And has when you yes. by the time you left russia you followed russian affairs since have living standards got better for russians and immeasurably so uh, as i said i lived in chistipudi and in the 90s one thing i never saw two things i never saw were children and older men uh there were some old ladies there were no children now when i go back i still have an apartment there I go back and uh, at the weekend, I can't go to my coffee shop because it's romper room. It's full of kids um, and life has become much more normal. People don't drink themselves stupid. Um, it, it, people are taking out mortgages. They're having families. Uh, it's become less exciting for uh, some of us rather adventurous foreigners, but infinitely better for Russians, which is why Mr. It's so popular. But you knew a lot of the Western correspondents in Moscow, and they were always predict. What were they making dire predictions about Russia? And do you think that was borne out, or have they been proved wrong? We'll gather your thoughts, and we'll go. We'll come back to you after the break. Thanks. Today's news talk radio. I like hearing the news. News. A lot of news. TNT Radio News. Top of the hour, every hour. TNT. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. US fighter jets have bombed over 100 targets in three countries across the Middle East this weekend, marking a significant escalation in a conflict Washington claims it's trying to defuse. The world's top podcaster Joe Rogan has signed a new contract with Spotify worth a quarter of a billion dollars. And US House Republicans have slammed a draft border security deal released by the Senate that would also unlock over $100 billion for Ukraine and Israel. 
globalist agendas. Democratic rights at risk. Corruption. Propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Hi, welcome back to TNT. We're talking about uh, Russia now and then. And the Western reporters who were based in Russia in the 1990s and early 2000s, when you were rubbing shoulders with them, Eric Krauss, former yeah. banker and Moscow inhabitant. Tell us a little bit about these correspondents. You knew FT and Economist guys. I knew Edward Lucas from The Economist. I remember in 98, uh, I had just arrived. I'd been less than a year in Moscow. I was fascinated by the place, but I was scared. To be quite frank, the 1998 crash was was daunting. And I went to see Ed, who'd been in Moscow for years, and he explained to me with no possible doubt that Russia was going to break up into four nuclear-armed moieties at war with each other, that the communists were going to sweep across the Kremlin, that the economy was going to fall apart, GDP was going to collapse, inflation was going to go. And I tried to temper it. I said, Ed, maybe it isn't really so bad. Maybe think, no, no, he knew better. They had their sources. And he was wrong. And I encountered him at a party about a year later, and he was shouting something about the rah-rah Russia crowd by which he referred to me. And I turned around and I said, Ed, you predicted the following, one, two, three. And he said, yes, I did. And I was wrong. But now you're going to see it's all going to collapse. And uh, they, being a journalist means never having to say, I'm sorry. Uh, they will cover up their mistakes. They will explain that it didn't happen yet, but it's about to come. It's about to happen, and there is an entire group of Russia folks uh, who, you know, who love hating Russia. Christia Friedland, uh, Anders Ashland, who's slightly insane, Lucas, who may or may not be tied up with some of the security agencies, um, but. They are systematically Russian-phobic, which is all right. Um, there are people who don't like Belgium. There are people who don't like Luxembourg. I am a French national, and there are a lot of people who don't like France. But it doesn't really do any harm. Here, this leads to bad policy. This leads to really serious mistakes, which are misled. Propaganda is meant to be an expert commodity. You don't. And, um, you know, you're seeing it now, uh, and there's something extremely dangerous going on, which is that the reign, Western hegemony, has been, is being challenged by one country. By one country alone, and that country is not Russia. Russia is a mid-sized uh, status quo power, which wants a better seat at the table and perhaps a larger piece of the pie, but they're not disruptive. China, on the other hand, threatens our hegemony. And having driven Russia into the arms of China was worse than a crime. It was a mistake. It was a bad mistake, and we're mm -hmm. going to pay for it. 
Mm. So uh, as I see it, I mean, from my perspective, I know there are Russophobes in, in Washington too, but it's a cabal of, you know, public school educated yes. uh, writers for the big papers in London. And I knew some of them when I was out in Eastern Europe in the 1990s and early 2000s. And, but they've moved on up in, inside the mainstream ladder by having the right opinions. And they probably have contacts inside the foreign office, maybe the intelligence agencies. It's meaningful to talk about a blob. I mean, they might not be in the security agency's pay, but they go to each other's parties and they create this consensus. Oh, that Russia is the, the, what the, 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 and the Russia is absolutely wicked and not only that, but collapsing. I mean, aren't, aren't these guys that you, that you were talking about predicting Russia's collapse even uh, three they or four years ago? Russia's collapse three or four years ago. They were predicting Russia's collapse from about the year 2001. What happened? Mr. Putin came to power and suddenly Russia, under Yeltsin, the situation was grave, but not serious. Under Putin, it became serious. And Putin was challenging the West, and they didn't like that. And I can tell you that personally, I used to be on all of the media. I was quoted five times a day in the Financial Times, in the Washington Post, in the New York Times, etc. All of a sudden, the phone stopped ringing. Why? Because I was known to be very much pro-Russia. And all of a sudden, this was out of fashion. They wanted bad news. They wanted to know how Russia was about to collapse, how you couldn't do it any way but the Washington neocon way and get away with it. And and so suddenly I was, you know, I was deplatformed, I think is the is the term now. Um, and yes, they have but been Putin. And, and Putin did not go along with the neocon, uh, neoliberal playbook, but went something else. And that worked for Russia? Is that what you'd say that with your banking background? Well, certainly, if you look at Russia, it is now the world's fifth largest economy. Um, people are living much better. It is now a middle-income country. Um, the appalling scenes of poverty, which I saw in the 90s, you will not see anymore. The old ladies with their pensions of $6 a month, that is a thing of the past. Uh, my family-in-law, some of them are pensioners, and they are getting... A, a miserly pension, but enough to live on quite decently. You don't have old ladies picking through the snow for bottles anymore. You just don't see that. So yes, Russia is doing much better. Unfortunately, now we have this war in Ukraine, which was brought on by the American neocons and their coup d'etat in uh, in Kiev. And um, it's, it's going to have severe geopolitical implications for all of us for many years to come yeah i'd like i mean i'd like to talk about that in perhaps another interview i mean and we've covered okay. that elsewhere uh, but this just this thing do you blame journalists partly for misinforming us so that we as democratic in democratic polities can't make up our minds we need to be told the truth i mean as i see it a good journalist is like the eyes and ears of the democratic body and without yes. having, if you're blind and deaf, you can't yes. navigate your country in the geopolitical shoals. And we have made a grievous mistake now, vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russia, as policy. you suggest, partly because we've got we've had these terrible journalists in Moscow for so long. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, because uh, the corporate press uh, serves its masters 
And um, the main, fortunately, now we have alternative media or people like yourself and social media. So at least we're not, you know, we can now shout back at the television screen. Um, but uh, the mainstream has been owned by the propagandists. And as I said, propaganda is a really dangerous thing when you start consuming your own because you start to make mistakes. You start to make policy right. mistakes. Yeah, uh, I agree. We've got to stop you there. And go, Eric, we've got to stop you there and go on to the next interview. Uh, great to have you on. And uh, thank you very much for talking about fake news and Russia. Thanks, Eric. This is TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I really don't understand how this trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein is continuing. And I don't know if Dr. Mann wanted to put his hockey stick on trial. There are so many holes in his argument. It is hard to believe. I don't even understand how people could have let that out without questioning it. And I've talked about this before. One of the biggest problems I have is he won't let anyone look at his data, at least no one that is skeptical of his data. And that should raise red flags. Now I've talked about this many, many times. You can go and look at what the global temperature does. When it's warm in the eastern and central part of the United States and warm across Europe, usually the global temperature is elevated. Now, when it's cold in those areas, believe it or not, the global temperature is actually colder. The problem with this whole hockey stick and the recreation of temperatures from pine cones is the areas he looks at and draws his ideas from are usually cold when the earth is warm. So he would not be able to detect that. He would not know that because he's not a meteorologist. If he was a meteorologist, would he know it? Of course he'd know it because we talk about this all the time. They're called teleconnections. So if I were in there talking about this, I'd be asking, where is your meteorology background and are you aware of this going on? But in any case, this whole hockey stick idea of temperature recreation looks to be more of a hokey stick to a lot of us out there. And the first red flag is you wouldn't let anyone look at your data. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Discussing national and international issues. You're listening to Pella Neuroth Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Hi, welcome back to TNT Radio. We are talking about fake news and how we start off this program with how Swedish television is being besieged by angry Swedes because it's full of fake news and they want reforms there. Now we move to Poland where the uh, Polish state broadcaster sacked one of its top journalists because uh, he was too good for them and too truth-telling. Michał Rachon, you are the former host or presenter of a program called Reset, I think, or a documentary program. You broke many stories in Poland. And then when a new government came in, they purged you. What's going on in, in Poland with press freedom? And then you could tell us a little bit about your projects that were so offensive to the elites. Thanks for, for having me. I just caught a little bit of this ice hockey uh, uh, debate. It's tremendous and very interesting. Uh, thanks for those kind words. Uh, the problem is probably much bigger than you may think, even based on uh, on the fact that, yes, I was sacked from Polish public television. But the real thing uh, is that 
it's not about sacking or, or kicking away me or my crew uh, from Polish national television. What happened in Poland over a month ago uh, is switching off the whole biggest news network channel from Polish news stream. I mean, literally switching off. Just think about it wherever you are in the world right now that one day in Poland, when the government changed, actually 24 hours after they took over, after eight years of being in opposition, the, the parties that took over power in Poland started with uh, getting with the police buttons to the uh, buildings of the Polish public broadcaster, which is the biggest television in Central Europe, basically, because of the size of the Poland as a state. And the biggest news network in Poland was actually TVP Info, the news uh, network that I was an anchor of. Uh, and on the same day, the new government of Poland switched off also a channel that part of our viewers and listeners could uh, had a contact with, which is TVP World, uh, which is the English-speaking station produced by uh, by, by Polish uh, public broadcaster. I was also a host of uh, of this um, of one of the programs on this uh, on this channel. So the bottom line is that the new liberal. Uh, government that took power after conservative government government that was accused for all the wrongdoings of the world, uh, basically in the same manner that, I don't know, Donald Trump was accused of or uh, many other uh, politicians who happened to win elections in the states that uh, other uh, political groups used to rule for many, many years. So what they did, the new government, they just did all the things that they accused falsely the, the government ju that just stepped down. So the bottom line is that not only I was sacked, but the whole channel was switched off and then taken over mm. by the Minister of Culture of the new government, who did it without any basis in a legal uh, framework, with mm. no legal framework, basically, against all the... Uh, rules in uh, in the Polish uh, law, and they switched mm. off the channels that they did not like. They came back online or on air with this uh, channel, TVP Info, and to all the people who understand the nature of uh, the cable network, the TV markets, uh, mm. this TV station, after it was uh, re-established in the cable news uh, market, lost... Uh, about four-fifths of its uh, viewership, uh, which isn't quite a bad thing for me because mm. the day this thing happened, I moved to the small conservative TV station that I work for now as a director of this station. This station, the same day, gained 2,600% of its viewership, mm. climbing to the position number two on the Polish market. So think about mm. this in the context of any developed the TV market, what mm. does it mean? Uh, I think mm. it's obviously clear for everyone. And of course, the, the, the reason is politics. Well, I mean, it's funny because to the casual viewer, you know, who trusts CNN or the BBC or New York Times, the bad guys were kicked out and the good liberal freedom loving guys came into power. But you're actually saying it's completely the opposite story that yeah. liberals who talk about European values are well, maybe it is EU values because the EU is more and more in favor of censorship, but basically they close you down and censor you. 
And this this new prime minister, uh, Tusk, has got this very good European, liberal, Western reputation. But he's a he's a kind of censor at heart, isn't he? And you've done some programs about him, haven't you? So he can't be too. You're a, aren't you a, a thorn in his side? Well, this is an old. I, I come and I was born in the communist time in in Poland, and I got used to it as a kid. I was eleven years old when the communists collapsed and when the Soviet Union collapsed, and and I remember from the days of my childhood that uh, there is an old communist and old uh, leftist of the whole world. I. I so I'd rather not to uh, combine and make communists the same of leftists because those are two different things. But anyway, the thing is that they always used to say that uh, there is no uh, freedom for the people who are opposing uh, freedom. So basically what Donald Tusk uh, did as a former president of um, European Council which he is, along with uh, some other people who who are in power right now, they just uh, decided mm. to do the things that are completely unlawful. Uh, mm. Those are political parties that are ruling right now in uh, Poland. That are the parties that that used to scream for the whole Europe about the rule of law and the things that they are doing mm. right now. They only started with the public um, uh, television, Polish public television. They took over completely unlawfully the Polish prosecutor's office without the consent of the Polish president. They are obliged to get this kind of uh, consent if uh, if they are, if they do want to take over um, the prosecutor's uh, office. But the problem is that the president was elected uh, four years ago by a different group of Polish citizens, and his term is ending in one year time, more than one year time, and they just mm. didn't want to wait this year for the president mm. to change. Uh, the law if they win another presidential election, which are scheduled in one year time. So the bottom line is that we are talking about the people who pretend to be a a political group who defends uh, rule of law and the mm. uh, regulations that are characteristic for a, as for a democratic state, but they are doing exactly opposite. The reason for which uh, me and my crew, we were sacked from the Polish public broadcaster is because we that we produced uh, a documentary docu-series about the reset policy, the, the infamous reset of uh, American liberals with, uh, mm -hmm. with Barack Obama with uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, they organized their reset policy with Sergei Lavrov and Vladimir Putin. But actually, no one remembers that two years earlier, Polish Prime Minister Donald Tusk, along with Radosław Sikorski, famous Anne Applebaum's uh, husband, were mm. organizing another reset of their own with Vladimir Putin, which ended dramatically uh, in death of Polish president and 96 other members of the uh, tragic uh, plane uh, uh, trip to Russia, which ended with the plane yeah. exploding. I remember that, yes. And, and you maintained that, I haven't seen the series itself, but uh, you said that Tusk is a, a kind of pro-Russian. Now, the thing is, what we associate uh, it's, it's kind of keep it very simple for our, our listeners and audience is that, you know, you've got the elites in Europe or the globalists and the liberals who are anti-Russian and anti-pro-gay, uh, pro-immigration. But what you've got with Tusk is somebody who's supposedly pro-Russian 
and pro-gay and pro-liberal. So he doesn't quite fit into that pattern. But you, you, you yes. just, just just think about the key to understand this this complicated thing is Nord Stream. Uh, you don't have to be uh, fluent in, in understanding the details of European uh, policy to understand and to know that Russia and Germany built a pipeline connecting Russia to Germany, pumping cheap gas to the German uh, industry generally. Uh, what was a common deal of those two political uh, entities of Germany and Russia. And it was the same Vladimir Putin back in 2008, back in 2009, back in 2010. We all remember, people all around the world remember the killing of Alexander Litvinenko, assassination with a polonium in, in London. It was a year earlier before the reset policy started. And that was the time where Germany were thinking about building this Nord Stream pipeline. Donald Tusk was a politician who officially claimed that the reason for which he wants to make deals with Russia is because he wants to be treated very well by mm. the European elites, basically Angela Merkel in Germany. That was the key to understand mm the pro-Russian politics of Radoslav Sikorsky and Donald Tusk. As long as Germany was pro-Russian, and it, in my opinion, it still is, despite the fact that the Germany supports Ukraine in its war against mm. Russia, but it does so only to the certain extent. So the way to understand it is that to know that the Polish policies back then was just a function of German policies. And Germany was mm. pumping 100 billion euros to uh, Russian mm. coffers back then through the Nord Stream mm. pipelines until those pipelines exploded. Mm. Well, I, I, I mean, the, uh, the Law and Justice Party, which took over after Tusk, and which I gather you're sort of supportive of, they were kind of hostile to both Russia and Germany, weren't they? And isn't, I mean, where Poland has to live with this fact that it's squeezed between two bigger powers. Well, how, that, that's basically how are you going to find your way in the world? I, I was married to a Polish woman. So I've had these discussions since 1991 or something. Just we used to discuss Yalta in bed sort of thing. <laughs> so I, I have to say, well, you Poles have to be realistic. You know, what, what do you, you've, that's, that's geography. God has dealt you this hand in Central so, Europe. I, I, I'm glad that you asked this question because it's very important for the people all around the world to understand the the, the situation that Poland is uh, or actually was for last 300 years. Uh, we basically, and you know it probably very well uh, since you were married to a Polish woman, that Pol Poland did not exist as a sovereign state for almost 200 years before um, the Second World War. Actually, when the First World War ended, Poland re-established, was re-established as, uh, as, as many other states in the Central uh, Europe. But from our perspective, the reason if you, our viewers, our listeners, ask themselves the question, why Poles support United States, why Poles support Great Britain, why Polish people tend to be a part and feel as a part of this transatlantic community in a broader sense, is that because we need uh, a cooperation, a transatlantic cooperation to balance uh, power, 
of Russia and two basically two imperialistic states, which is Russia and mm -hmm. Germany, that always tend to fight each other on one hand, cooperate on the on, on, on the other hand. But the bottom line to do so, they need to squeeze Poland, which is between them, to draw a line between them as a border, which was basically one of the key findings of my docu-series, our docu-series reset. We did that mm -hmm. with Professor Sławomir Censkiewicz, a great historian, one of mm -hmm. the best historians in Europe right now, probably the mm -hmm. biggest thinker who, uh, who, who, who knows details of the uh, communist and post-communist times, as he was the chief of main archives in, uh, in Poland. We found papers that the strategy of defense of those uh, of, of Poland as a part of the NATO alliance, uh, the key element of this defense plans was that the strategic line of defense of Poland was on the Vistula River. And you have to understand that Vistula River is in the middle of territory of Poland. It's not a border river. Right. So what you're saying is if there were uh, Russia attacked, uh, half of Poland would already be occupied. And presumably that raises memories of the division of uh, 1939. Well, history is always present. And that's, and that's, but we and talk and about I assume that that's the reason for which this docu-series was the first thing that was banned from the websites of the Polish television, from YouTube mm. uh, as well, and the new government took over uh, Polish public television. So, so you think that new government is going to be more pro-German, get back into the sort of post-Merkel fold? Or I I I think so. We got we got at least a couple of indications uh, of of this. We are having right now. We are only after one and a half month of the of the new government. So the decisions haven't been made and announced yet. But we know that there are discussions raised about the nuclear power plants. Uh, Poland is the only state in the region which do not have its own um, uh, nuclear power plants. There are discussions regarding the strategic uh, tra transportation hubs, like a big airport, which is central communication port that was uh, scheduled and uh, organized mm -hmm. by the former PIS government. Uh, those are the discussions that we are having right now in Poland. So the things are not decided yet. However, mm -hmm. we've heard, because there is another big issue uh, between Poland and Germany, which is the Second World War reparations, uh, Poland sent a report to Berlin uh, claiming that Berlin Berlin owes 1.2 billion euros for the uh, drama of the Second World War to Poland. And the new government and new prime, uh, new uh, foreign minister, Radosław Sikorski, traveled to Berlin and he said that he wants a creative approach of Germany to this issue. Well, it's like creative accountants. It doesn't mean anything good. Mm. And uh, Duda is going to be in office as your president for another year. What are the PIS plans to sort of uh, keep them relevant in the in, in the uh, on the political scene? Well, well, the PIS itself has to answer itself a couple of uh, serious uh, questions because it also it is also a thing that is worth mentioning that uh, due to a specific political system in Poland or generally in broader sense in Europe, it's not enough to win election to rule uh, Poland. PIS won third election in a row. It came as a first the biggest political party with the biggest support uh, after the election on 15th of uh, October 
uh, last uh, year, but they weren't able to create a coalition government because generally the uh, the division line in, in Polish politics, in, in some sense, also in some other post-communist states, is the division line between the post-communist parties that are divided among yeah. each other and PIS, which uh, challenges the post-communism as a system. Michal, we've got to wind up there, but we'd love to have you on because we're going to talk about culture wars next time on gay and immigration for which Poland's resistance is famous. But we've had a deep dive there into Polish politics. Incredibly interesting because Poland is the key rising country in Europe right now. Very important geopolitically and economically and culturally. Michal, thank you very much and hope to have Thanks you on again soon. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye.